Hey, I'm Mike Cruz, the founder and CEO of Visible. As you scale your company, having the right guides at your side can make all of the difference. Each episode, we'll talk to fellow founders, investors, and experts. We'll dive into their zone of genius, as well as hear about their past mistakes to give you a better chance of success. This podcast is for founders by founders. This is the Founders Forward. Today, I am joined by Yin Wu. She's the founder and CEO of Pulley. Uh, Pulley is a cap table for hypergrowth startups. We're a customer of Pulley and, and just got onboarded. It's a great, great tool that I'm sure we're going to get into. Uh, Yin's a three-time founder. I think that's right. Is that right, Yin? Three-time? It is. So um, cool. I am a third-time founder. All right. Three-time founder. Uh, Pulley more recently just announced that they had uh, a $10 million round close that was led by Stripe, which I think is pretty fascinating. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. But Yin, thanks for joining us and uh, welcome to the, the Founders Forward. Absolutely. Really excited to be here. So, all right, first question, how did you get the domain? How did you get the .com? You know, that's actually something that we've been asked a lot from, from um, especially designers. Uh, they they asked us, how did you get pulley.com? Um, so we wanted to have a name that I think represents uh, a pulley, and a pulley is one of the, the seven simple tools. We really liked what it conveyed, which is it's so hard to do a startup already. How is it we as a company can make it easier for all the startups that are on pulley? Let us lift some of the weight that you have as a founder, as an employee. And when we saw that pulley.com was available, we, we reached out, worked with the domain broker and thought, OK, this is a really long shot, probably not going to get it. And then it ended up working out. So it was uh, too hard not to take. So did you did you take ownership of the domain? We did. So we took ownership of the domain for fully.com. Uh, logistics of getting it, I think, are actually a little bit on the boring side, which is working sure. with the domain broker. to, to Yeah. Broker. OK, cool. Because I know a lot like a lot of the things founders are doing now is even like leasing domains, right? Yeah. And then they have the option to buy after a certain like Series A or something. So I think there's been some cool ways that dot coms have become more available. Uh, but they're they are expensive. So it's cool that you, that you have the domain. And I'm going to have to look up the other six simple tools. Do you know what they are off the top of your head? A lever is one of them. And that is taken. So I think we were going down the list of these simple tools. Yeah. And it was Pulley was one of the few that's still um, available. And let me tell you, like some of the other names that we considered that I'm glad that we didn't decide to do was everything from Caposaurus. And we thought the logo was <laughs> kind of wearing a giant hat. But I, I'm glad that we we did not go down that route and, and chose Pulley as well for, for the branding. I, I think the name is the name is great and 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 the branding's on point. So um Caposaurus is kind of cool though. But like <laughs> I think you would have to rebrand at some point from that. So I, I would agree, a yeah. lifetime for, for you guys, which is cool. So you're you're a three-time founder. Uh, Pulley is your third. Mm-hmm. You previously sold a, a, a startup to Microsoft. Is that what inspired Pulley? Like, I, I'm curious to hear, like, how did you decide to jump into this, create a tool for founders? Was it something you experienced as a founder, you know, being a, a three-time founder now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my background um, is that I had previously studied CS at Stanford and my senior year was thinking about what is it I want to do next? Um, should I go into consulting? Got an offer from McKinsey. Should I go and work at a tech company? Um, Google, Facebook sounds good. Or option C was, should I just go and start my own company? And luckily, when I was at Stanford, um, I was part of a student group called Basis that helped run startup school with YC. 
So prior to coming out to the West Coast, I'm from Kentucky. No one does a startup. Um, I was going to do pre-med. But then when I started taking these CS classes, they were just so fascinating that it was like you get to build something. I think that instant gratification of seeing like a piece of code you write live was was frankly addictive. So when I was thinking about what to do after college, I remember talking to Jessica Livingston at YC at the time. I was like, hey, I'm considering all these options. What should I do? She said, well, clearly you should go and start a company. Um, so my co-founder and I at the time decided let's apply to YC. I think I had a quarter left of college, decided to drop out instead, um, start my own company thinking, how hard could it be? Turns out incredibly hard. <laughs> so we learned a lot of the lessons really, I think the hard way around by yeah. making mistakes ourselves. Um, after numerous pivots and, and just changing things up, we ended up selling the company to Microsoft. What we were building at the time was kind of a lock screen for Android, and that ended up um, becoming kind of a, a part of Microsoft as they decided to expand more into the Android ecosystem. And really the motivation for starting Pooly is like when we talk about how hard it is to start a company, how is it that we can lower the bar to make that so much easier? Our mission at Pooly is how do we allow anyone to start a company? Because we think a world where everyone is only working in a large tech company is not one where you actually get a diversity of ideas that's being created. But when the bar is so high to starting a company, not enough people, I think, have the knowledge to do it. And frankly, no one starts a company because they want to manage a spreadsheet. Um, you start a company because there's this vision, this idea that you want to bring into this world. And where we see the role of Pooly is how do we take care of everything else so that you as a founder can focus on finding product market fit? Yeah, I love that. And, and with Stripe, investing in your most recent round as the lead investor, I find that to be interesting. Was that, you know, they have Stripe Atlas, which I think has been a huge product to help founders start businesses because it's just frictionless way to set up your incorporation and bank account and all that good stuff. It is whatever you're comfortable sharing, is, is that kind of part of it? It's like, hey, we're going to be tightly integrated with the, the Stripe Atlas ecosystem, or I'm curious to hear like how Stripe um, decided to, to lead the round. Yeah, I mean, Stripe is phenomenal. It's um, the, uh, uh, John Collison actually had an interesting um, uh, interview in Stratechery where he mentioned Poli. And I think that what makes Stripe stand out as an investor is a lot of times when you talk to investors who haven't been former operators, their thesis around investing, I think, is very high level. So you, you look at the market from like a zoomed out perspective and then you think, OK, this kind of makes sense. We see the direction where it's heading. But for Stripe, they, they actually don't even need to guess because they're talking to companies every single day, mm -hmm. getting incorporated on Atlas when you set up um, uh, payment processing through Stripe. They see from talking to their own users, what are some of the other pieces of financial ecosystem that currently today is missing? And I think one of those is the area that Pooley is, is working in, which is private company cap table uh, management. Like when we think about what we're building at Pooley is we're effectively building a ledger of ownership. We want to help create better tools to help people manage who owns what within all of these private companies. And what's exciting here is that I think today the tools for managing all of this equity is just really missing. And Stripe recognizes this. So we saw a lot of synergies between Stripe and working with Atlas, having that shared vision of how do we lower the bar to, to really helping companies get started and partnering with them to make it easier for anyone to start thinking about equity from day one. What what do you think about for 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 I know you just got done with the fundraise, but like do you think you'll raise from, from more traditional investors going forward? Will you continue to raise from strategic folks, angels? Yeah. Like, how, 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 Are you thinking about that at this point or, or not really concerned about it? We've been focused so much on execution, yeah. on the team, on hiring. Um, the the When we think about like raising our next round, um, maybe like a way to answer it is it's not so much like strategic or institutional. 
I think my advice for the investors that have been most helpful for Pulley is not surprisingly former founders. So mm-hmm. our today, um, we have, I think 70% of the team are folks that started a company in the past and even more want to start a company in the future. The investors I think that have been most useful for, for Pulley um, are the ones that started a company because they yeah. know how hard it is. Um, they get their hands dirty and they know that doing a startup is in no ways like, great, have an idea, incorporate IPO. There's so many bumps along the way. And they're the ones that really help us think about um, growing the company operationally too. One of the things I want to kind of chat about is there's some entrenched players in in the cap table space, right? Um, Why go into that crowded marketplace? Like what what did you see that you're like, man, this, we actually have a huge opportunity here. Because I think a lot of times founders... Uh, try to look for a blue ocean opportunity where maybe it's not as competitive. Investors are like, oh, that's a crowded space, right? That's probably a reaction a lot of people give. So yeah. why why did you decide that's like, hey, we actually have a huge opportunity here? Uh, clearly it's working. Yeah, I mean, I think we actually, I mean, we have a lot of respect for all the companies that exist today um, between Carta, between Shareworks, CapTable.io. Um, there's a host of products. Like we did, Pulley did not invent CapTable management by any means. Um, but when we kind of look at this market, we also think this market is growing really quickly. And we think this market is actually far bigger than what most people realize. That, I think, in some ways is kind of our secret. So we think that there's also a way for us to play aside with the other companies in the space and mm-hmm. really think about how is it that we can put a dent on Pulley. And and for Pulley, it's the case that, I mean, we're only a year old, far earlier. Um, there's so much that we need to build for, for our users, for our customers. Um, and I think it goes back to like, we think about who is it that we really want to help and it's founders and how do we build a cap table tool that we want to orient towards founders because we feel like today, a lot of the tools out there aren't really built with maybe like this opinionated user in mind. Yeah. and and. and- one of the things that we talked about before we, we jumped on and the record here is, is this idea of ownership percentage as a founder and why that's important. Yeah. And I think that's probably part of the reason why you started Pulley is, can we walk through like an example? Like, let's, let's just talk about, I'm a founder, I'm starting uh, my first company, right? So this is my first time I'm starting a business. Uh, I've used, uh, I'm getting on board to Pulley, um, incorporated on Stripe, Atlas, and I'm going to raise my first round of capital. And a pre-seed investor says, hey, I want to take, I don't know, uh, X percent of the business. And, and, and safes are more popular than ever, right? So you have yeah. these different instruments. And so ownership can kind of get wonky. How does Pulley help solve that? And what's just some general advice for founders in terms of how to think about the rounds yeah. in, in fundraising? So I think like basically that, that series of questions you just asked are things that you need to know do in order to grow a business that's not core to product market fit. And that's exactly where Pulley comes in. Um, For us, oftentimes we find the Pulley is almost most useful for people that are not in the Valley. And this goes back to like us democratizing access Mm -hmm. to understanding how equity works. We work with uh, former academics that are trying to find a cure for cancer. They come from academia and don't even understand like when you're fundraising, this is what the terms actually mean. Um, so here's a, here's a basic example. You have two founders started a company. Your cap table is really simple. Bob owns 4 million shares. Jane owns 4 million shares. You each own 50-50. The complexity comes in is like, great. Now you need to create an employee equity plan so that you can give shares to future employees. Now that you've thought about setting up this equity plan, well, how is it that you actually need to hire? Um, well, you need to raise funding before you hire. 
Most days, companies now are raising on safes or convertible notes, and rounds are becoming increasingly complex. Where you have pre-seed rounds, then seed rounds before you even get an equity round. So here are some of the terms that actually end up being confusing when I'm raising on a seed on a seed round. You have pre-money safes that convert differently than post-money safes. You have prorata that give investors a right to be able to invest in your future round. Modeling all of that out becomes really complicated, and when we see the cap tables. We ask founders actually a simple question: Do you know how much of the company you still own? And a lot of times the answer is no, because it's not clear based on all the rounds of funding we've done how much of the company you still own today. So Pooly has a great modeling tool where you can plug in all the numbers and very clearly see: Here's how much I own today. Here's how much I will own after I do my seed round of funding. Here's how how much I own going into the equity round. And it's actually the case that if you start out with 50% of the company and you're doing really well as a startup. Post the Series A, if you still own twenty percent, that's considered phenomenal.、Um, wow! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That blows my mind. But yes. Yeah, no. It's like because you've basically taken over fifty percent of dilution in just a seed round of funding and in a Series A. Well, the way that the math works out is in the seed stage, you give up ten to twenty percent of the company.、Um, come the Series A, their investors want to take at least another ten to twenty percent. If you have prorata, that means you're also getting additional dilution. You give equity to employees, and then it starts to really decrease. But the flip side of that, it should be the case that the company is doing well in your Series B and your Series C. You end up taking less dilution. But I think that's kind of the financial side of things that people don't actually understand when you're actually starting a company. What we say at Poly is that we are very much focused on founders, and one of our beliefs is that we think founder-led companies are more successful in the long term. But realistically, the only way you can stay founder-led is through equity. If you maintain control, if you can't manage a cap table and think about future dilution well, then it's hard to stay in control. I saw that one of your blog posts. You have this really nice-looking chart. It's founder-led company,、um, founder-led companies with their growth earnings, and then another、um, line on that was non-founder-led. And it was pretty resounding、uh, correlation. It, off the top of your head, do you know what like the percentage higher is for that? I think it was at least twenty percent higher for founder-led companies. Yeah,、and、I feel like it's it's not surprising there either because for for founder-led companies, I think oftentimes the lifetime of a company, there's so many difficult decisions you need to make. And if you've been at the start, if you've been at the company since the beginning as a founder, I think you have the social capital to make some of those calls.、Um, people trust that it's like great. You have the the. Goal of the company in mind. There's so many companies that we can probably talk about where they bring in the professional CEO, and then everything shifts. The culture is no longer the same, and it's not on the same trajectory as what it was before. Any companies come to mind?、I'm、I think、sure、a lot of ones. There's big ones, and I usually like. I, I think it's the case that it happens later on when you raise future rounds of funding, and it's like, great, let's professionalize the, the business.、Um, And I think it's the case that with Poly, it's like we want to arm our founders with the tools that they need, so that they can think about、um, how they can protect and maintain their equity and ownership in the future.、Yeah. The, there's actually like this fantastic book that I recommend to, to any of your、um, listeners on equity that really tells the human side of the story, and that's Pixar and Beyond、um, by Lawrence Levy, who was the CFO of Pixar. Pixar for ten years before、uh, Lawrence Levy joined. The way that they would make payroll was that Ed Catmull, the president of Pixar, would talk to Steve every month and say, "Here's our revenue. Here's the gap. I need a personal check in order to make up that gap." And that's how they operated for a really long time. And then Lawrence Levy comes in and, and helps create more of the business model around Pixar. And they talk about what it took 
to take Pixar to the IPO and how one of the main points that they fought for was a large equity pool for employees so that you can own a small piece of a company that you've spent so much time in building that you've poured your heart and soul into. I mean, this dream of owning a small piece of something that grows, I think, is why a lot of people come out to Silicon Valley. But I think really understanding what this asset class means and how do you manage that well, um, I think the tools for that are still not there. And that's why Pulley exists. So talking about employees, I think that that's something that we, we actually took some questions from our community ahead of time. Uh, and so this one, I don't think was in the pre-questions I sent over, so I'm going to put you on the spot. But uh, someone's asking, you know, does does my option pool grow over time, right? Is it, If I start with 2 million shares in my employee pool, um, will that get refreshed for each round? Or how should I think about, you know, giving out equity from, from early stages to seeds, Series A, Series B? Right, so all of those questions that you're asking are, are equity, are, are the questions that our users ask. And yeah. the I think that if you are um, approaching uh, a cap table from, maybe like a, an expert perspective, like with the paralegal and accountants, they're thinking of it as like, how do I record a restricted stock option mm -hmm. on a spreadsheet and list what the federal exemption is? But the questions that you actually care about as an employee or a founder is like, how much equity do I give my first employee? How do how much equity do I give my 10th uh, designer, my, my first business hire? And the way that, so to your question of like employee option pool, that is something that tends to get refreshed in future rounds because you need to have more equity in order to give employees. But what also happens is that the size of the grants tend to decrease. Yep. When the company is first starting out, you're at the highest risk. Company could die next year. You want to reward people that are joining early disproportionately with more equity. Google at this point, no one is giving away obviously 1% of Google, very established company. So the grants you have as a company becomes more secure and larger and uh, being percentage wise smaller, but it should also be the case that this equity is worth more because you've raised future round of funding that value the company at a greater amount. Is there a rule of thumb off the top of your head of like my first 10 employees? I mean, I'm sure there's it, the yeah. answer is it depends, right? Depending on the seniority and what they do, but what are the rules of thumb as maybe how much equity I should be giving them for each stage of my business, maybe. So it's, I know Sam Altman has a post on like 10% um, for the first 10. And Sam, I think, writes a lot of amazing things and gets a, a lot of them right. I don't know if I agree with actually that one specifically, because I, I think it really does come down to it depends. Say that you have like a phenomenal 10X engineer that's looking to join your team. The way we think about it and the, what we talk to founders about is, is this person going to move the needle of your company? Um, if they're going to move the needle of your company, then they are willing to take the risk of leaving Facebook, Google and really high salary and anything joining you, then yeah, they should be compensated disproportionately. Maybe it's not even 1%. It's you give this one person 5% of the company because you think they're taking on that responsibility of almost like a technical co-founder. Um, but if it's a case that you kind of uh, are hiring a lot of ops people initially, and it's the case that you're a very operational business, well, then we also kind of look at the market. Um, for Pooley, our stance when it comes to, to looking at compensation is we also look at our peers for companies at our stage. And what we try to do today, and this will also change over time, is give people 90th percentile in equity compensation compared to companies at our stage. Wow. Exactly. Because we want them to be owners within Pooley too. And then we give them um, 50th percentile in cash comp. So we're very upfront saying like, we can't compete against Google or Facebook for cash comp. If right. you're looking for that, then I think an early stage startup is not a good fit. But come to join us if you believe we can be the next unicorn. You, you mentioned this earlier, and I, I wrote this down. So uh, talking about your team and your employees, 70% are previous founders, yeah. uh, which is awesome. And you said that, and this is kind of like a hot phrase I've been seeing on Twitter about slope 
and not intercept. Uh, so you, you said, uh, we hire for slope, not Y-intercept. We value raw intellectual horsepower, ability, and output above your credentials. So you're not hiring for the resume, you're hiring for, for slope. What does that mean, hiring for slope and not Y-intercept? How quickly can you learn? Um, by definition, if you're doing a startup, you're doing things that you've never done before because you're, you're trying to create something that wasn't there before. Um, even if you have a competitor in the space, I mean, the market dynamics are all different. What we need to hire for is people to really pick up on whatever they're doing, uh, a new skill set. There's no book on, I mean, name any startup. There's no book on how do you build a social network when there's already a large social network, 300 million users. That was a case for Facebook. So what we need to hire for is someone that can think on the fly and figure out like, great, the, the tailwinds are changing. How do I adapt to that very quickly? Um, and we intentionally don't hire for what your resume says is because I think, I mean, for us on the engineering side, great developers can come from anywhere. Mm -hmm. What we're more interested in is like, where did you start and how did you get there? I mean, what's your slope to, to learn really quickly? And the way we screen for that is on, on the first call is um, we we dig into the specifics, right? So if, uh, uh, for example, if you're a recruiter that's looking to join Pulley, how many people did you close? I think that one of the big differences we found in our interview process is that uh, really good tier one people, I think, are love to dig into the specifics and have crisp answers and like, this is what I did and this is the results. And I think people that may not be as great of a fit for Pulley uh, tend to talk more kind of, I think, abstractly. Yeah, they can't quantify it. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I mean, the... I think joining a, a, we are very intentional that right now we are hiring for the first 10. And for us, it's that we want to be really mindful about who we're bringing on board to set the foundation of the team. Because the adage is A players hire A players, B hire C. And if it's a case that we um, change the hiring bar for Pooley, and I expect the bar to, to change over time, but for the first 10, it really needs to be people that you think are stunning colleagues, kind of stealing a term from Netflix that you really want to be excited about working with so they can keep the pace of development. You mentioned for, so, so how many of the 10 have you hired of your first 10 so far? Um, so, I mean, for us, it's like, we're, we're basically there, um, okay. on, the, on the 10 front. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned we're not a family, which I think is, is very unique. I think if you talk to a lot of people about their culture in, in a startup, it is, uh, we are a family. We're in this together, right? Uh, you said we're a world-class team We're we're our goal here is to win. And most founder types don't want a second family. They want to excel. Um, I found that to be refreshing, right? Because it's very direct. Like, hey, yeah. this is about as direct as we can get in type of the person we're looking for. Uh, I'm curious, though, about that culture. Is that different than maybe the culture you've had at the first two companies in terms of uh, that mindset of that we're not a family, we're here to win? Yeah, so um, I think that we, we think about our culture and we're, we're really inspired by, um, I think, culture at other high-performance companies. And the Netflix culture doc was something that really stood out to us, where they talk about we are not a family, we're a high-performance sports team. And the analogy resonated because whether you're a sports team or, say, an orchestra, um, you either win the championship or you don't. There's a clear goal in mind. Um, versus for a family, like I, I love my family. Um, but if my mom doesn't make a great meal, I'm not giving her a list of points saying like, <laughs> these are the high notes you really need to hit. So to make this like a 10 out of 10 for dinner. Um, and the, but, but for your colleagues, you, you do want that. If we don't hit a goal, we should go back and reevaluate no egos on the table. Why is it? We didn't hit this goal. Um, how is it that we can do better next time? Um, how is it we can push each other to achieve more? I mean, the goal for Pooley, we're very clear, is that we want to build a very successful company. 
And we say that we're not a family is because I think sometimes culture on teams also gets diluted to like amazing snacks or a cool office. I don't think that's culture. I think culture is a sum of who you work with. Um, and we are clear saying we're not a family because we want people that uh, are really, you know, have this drive to win. We have this test that we say a pulley for every person that we interview. What we call it is the side of the road test. If your car broke down on the side of the road, would you trust this candidate to come and get you? And what this test for is like, do I trust them? First of all, um, yeah. are they dependable? Are they reliable? Are they someone that can get me in a clutch? And if it's the case, the answer to that is no, then they wouldn't fit our definition of what a stunning colleague is. It's a, it's a little bit different than the Google test, right? Was it the Google test? Could I be delayed at an airport for six hours or something with, with yeah. this person? It's a little different, which is cool. It's a little uh, different intentionally because... Yeah. Um, tons of friends I have that I would love to spend six hours at an airport with. And we'll just like, I don't know, walk around, have fun. But I think that's different than like, can this person get their stuff done? Um, and can this person be someone that you would trust to do that? Yeah. What, what, um, going back to kind of the team, because uh, I think you've been, you really focused on this recently from what I can see. Uh, you mentioned some of the, the lasting companies the last hundred years yeah. have grown their leadership from within. Yeah, I find that to be fascinating. I find leadership one of the harder things to, uh, to to really train someone up on or or, or think about. And you mentioned, you know, lasting companies are there, outside of you mentioned Netflix. Are there any other companies that you guys look to for inspiration in terms of how they've grown their leadership team from within the organization? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think Stripe is actually a phenomenal example of this. You see a lot of early Stripe employees that have taken leadership roles at the company. And the reason they're and the only way that you can, again, only do that is if you hire really good people for the initial set. Uh, the uh, For us, it's um, the case that I think it's the case that you're able to grow the leadership team from it within. If you're able to keep this hiring bar of like, is this person that we're interviewing better than any of us on the team today in at least one dimension? In some dimension, we feel like we should be learning from them. Um, and if you keep to that bar, I think that's how you're able to, to grow people so that as they, uh, I mean, people internally on in the team have the most domain expertise in the product that you're building. So really, it's like if they have the domain expertise and again, going back to the Y-intersect and they're all, sorry, the slope, they're also able to learn quickly and we're able to really build leaders from within Pulley, from, from IC contributors and up. You guys are going all in on products, sounds like. Like okay. you are going to be a product company first and foremost. Is that fair to say? We would be a product company first and foremost. And um, I would even say like for, for us, it's like, how is it that we can best service our users? I think that's the question we actually yeah. ask rather than because our users don't care for a product company, engineering company or a sales driven organization. What they care is, can we get can we do what they've hired Pulley to do? Um, and for us, we think the best way for us to service them is by building a phenomenal product um, for them. You, talking about some of that, you mentioned early days of of Stripe versus Braintree and how you see Poli kind of fitting into, into those stories. I would love just to have you talk about that. I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So when we think about, we will also make this analogy of Stripe versus Braintree because um, pre-Stripe, it wasn't clear that the market for payment processing was big and also that it was also defensible, I think was the other part. Is payment processing actually a commodity? Um, and what you saw with Braintree was there was this business that got acquired for $300 million. And I think some investors looked at it and said, great, that's the size of the market, 300 million. Probably not, a, not an amazing venture backable business. It's gonna be the next Google. But really, if you were actually a developer that had 
worked with some of these payment processors because pre-Stripe there, there was uh, Braintree, there was Amazon Payments, a host of other products. If you were actually a developer working with those, what you realized was, wait, this company is worth 300 million? I just spent a week trying to get the product integrated for payments. You realize that the market is actually far bigger. Yeah. If you go to 10x better product, then you can also increase the size of the market itself. And I think the other smart thing that Stripe bet on is that the size of the internet economy is far bigger than what most people realize too. Do, are there any things that you've, you've done in your own research talking about market sizing and yeah. founders in more companies? Like, what, what did you find in your research modeling the, the market of people starting companies? What, what did you see through that uh, outside of like, obviously it's huge, but are there growth trends in that? Yeah, what we're seeing is that um, one of the interesting trends is internationalization. So I think in the last two, I mean, in, in the most recent YC batches, over 50% of the batch is international. So what you see as a result of that is that Silicon Valley culture is going global. So yeah. it doesn't matter if you're starting a company in London, if you're starting a company in Mumbai, if you're alongside batchmates, they're like, yeah, we give equity to attract the best and most talented, then you as a, a company that's kind of getting started in this culture are also thinking about equity to your employees. So we think about that a lot at Pooley is we're starting today with focus on US-based companies, but we think there's a massive opportunity internationally as well, where we help companies uh, overseas also help manage their their equity and um, uh, for, for themselves and their employees too. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, at Visible, you know, we have a very similar audience. It's, it's yeah. four founders, five founders. And I want to say about 45% of our customers are not in, in North America. Um, you know, we have people in the MENA region. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we work with great partners like Flat6 Labs there, a ton of uh, Australia, New Zealand, Western Europe. I mean, there's, there's, and that, you're right, that mindset's coming where, where yeah. people want to be like, hey, my people on my team are getting equity. So um, I, I find yeah. that to be pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, just shifting gears slightly here towards you as a founder. And, you know, so I kind of want to touch on, some of your investor relationships. So you've been through YC three times. Uh, maybe my first question is why? Is it, because uh, like in, in, a, in a nice way, like it seems like you get something of immense value if you've gone through it quite a few times. Um, so you, you already had the network the first time. So what are you getting from YC um, that made you want to go do it, you know, the second and then third time? That's a great question. The um, Mark Pincus uh, actually has this great piece uh, where someone asked him, like, Mark, uh, you're a serial entrepreneur. That must be amazing. And his response was, well, I didn't set out to be a serial entrepreneur. It, it's similar to saying, like, you're a serial monogamist where you have a series of long term relationships, one after another, but never find the one to settle down with. Um, with Pooley, this is the one for, for me. We, we want to take the company all the way to, to IPO on our platform, too. We want to help thousands of other companies on our platform um, become successful, too. The, the reason to do YC is that, first and foremost, the amazing community. Anywhere else in the world, if you were to say, I'm going to leave my really high-paying job at a large company to go and take a shot on building something from scratch, it would be crazy. But I think that's also the beauty of being like um, of normalizing Silicon Valley culture. It's yeah. okay to take some of these risks. And for YC Pulley specifically, we think about there's a batch of 200 companies that can all be future Pulley users. How is it that we can accelerate product development by getting their feedback, getting the product in front of them uh, and continue to learn from them too? Are you like the de facto tool now for like all YC companies? I think so. And if you're not, you should definitely come on use Pulley. And that comes, <laughs> I think, 
like you mentioned, like with Visible, you, you're building, you're a team of founders building for founders. And that's the same with Pooley. We understand what the, the founders need for, for Pooley. We spend a lot of time investing in our modeling tool and making it easy to onboard. Um, I think all of those things are really paying dividends for why founders choose us too. How have you approached fundraising over years? So, so YC is part of it, right? That's kind of the start of the journey. You raised from some pretty heavy hitters like Andreessen Horowitz and, and General Catalyst and now Stripe. H- how have you personally approached fundraising over the years? Have you uh, built relationships with these investors? And when the time is right, they'll, they'll write a check. Or do you run like a process? You're like, I'm fundraising. That's all I'm doing right now. Uh, I'm going to go do it. So what, what is your take on, on how to, you've best approached uh, the different fundraisers you've had over your years as a, as a founder? Yeah, I think it's like what we, um, the I, I think of it very much uh, as like, what is a, a partnership that Poli can have with our investors as well? We're in it together for the long haul and we choose partners that we think can really benefit, can help us build this business as well. Um, when we raised our initial round for Pooley, we we kind of effectively skipped the seed and went straight to the Series A when we uh, when we started chatting with Stripe. Um, and on that end, it was like it was just a great partnership on both sides. We Stripe has worked with Atlas. Pooley uh, has a lot of overlap in kind of our mission of wanting to service companies. So we thought there was a great strategic opportunity to partner closely together. When we think about like what is the uh, who are the right partners for us. I think there's actually, um, frankly, there's like two type of investors. One is they give you funding, they get out of your way to allow you to build a business. The other is that they've been there, done that, have a lot of domain expertise and help can help you grow the business. Those are two good types of founders. The third category is, uh, I would say, sorry, two good type of investors. Yeah. The third category is investors that um, give you a lot of advice, but nece- don't haven't actually been in your shoes, in which case it slows you down. So. For us, we've thought about how we can bring the first two on board. Um, and I think the good thing about the Valley is like for some of these investors we had existing relationships with, we talked to other founders like, hey, who is most useful on your cap table? Who's the person that when you're stuck and have a question about design, have a question about fundraising your next round about hiring, who is it that you would call? And we try to proactively get those people on board with Pulley too. Yeah, that's awesome. So you mentioned IPO and going public. Uh, I don't think we're that far from... Uh, letting companies go public on different platforms in the traditional process of like hiring iBanks and having a bake off and doing all this, right? Like, I mean, yesterday, DoorDash went public. Yeah. Uh, and like, I think the, the float was probably small, but like the, the stock popped. And, and I was joking with some friends, but I don't, I don't think we're that far from like a company going public on Robinhood, right? Do you think that that's that far away? We, we now have given uh, these trading tools in the pockets of, you know, hundreds of millions of people. Uh, it's probably, how do you think about that? Like, I, I'm sure there's probably ways that uh, we're not that far from companies going public in, in different ways. I mean, we've had SPACs uh, pop up, direct listing. So it, it, I, could, I only imagine that it's going to continue to change. Um, so speaking of DoorDash, they were part of our winter 13 bash, one of the bashes when I went through YC. And what's so funny is like, I think now their um, YC demo day pitch has been shared quite a bit is it wasn't clear that DoorDash was going to be the winner in that batch. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the route to building a successful company, and we say this so many times, it's because we want to encourage people to keep building companies. Is It's really hard. And then you get there because Tony and team are amazing. Um, but I think DoorDash is also kind of a great example of uh, some of an earlier point that we talked about where like Stripe versus Braintree. 
Well, the, for, for DoorDash, like one of their competitors was Grubhub, a public company that's been around for a long time, really struggled with being profitable. $6 billion, I think, max for their market cap. DoorDash popped to $60 billion. So that's a 10x difference when you have a better team execute better with a better strategy. So we think absolutely there are so many markets out there that are actually ripe for the taking, and you shouldn't let existing incumbents um, scare smaller startups from being created. So to actually, to answer your specific question of like talking about like uh, how is it seems like what you're almost saying is like this line between public and private company is also blurring and there's multiple ways for companies to go public. Um, we think I mean it's definitely an interesting trend where one of the things we're seeing is that companies are also staying private for far longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Stripe is a ten-year-old private company. Airbnb is just about to IPO and they've been around for like. 10 plus years as well. I mean, it used to be the case if we see the first uh, slew of internet companies, uh, they would IPO after just a few rounds of funding. And now it's not the case. So we definitely do see a lot of really interesting innovations kind of in, the, in that space. Yeah. Cool. Um, two final questions here. And thanks so much for your time. This is kind of just more of you as Ian as a person. So you're going for it, right? Like you are, yeah. you're going for it, which I love. You're like, it's IPO or bust. We're hiring the best people. We're building a 10x better product. What do you do to stay sane as a founder though, right? If you're, if you're all in on this, what are you doing to take yourself away from the business on like a Monday evening or whatever yeah. the, the day is? And, and what are you doing to keep yourself sane? Yeah, so I also have um, a seven-month-old at home. So I think that when I go and play with him, it gives me a bit more perspective. He has no idea what bully is. More <laughs> like, mom, can you feed me? Can you change my diaper? Can you play with me? So that gives me a good perspective. And I think the other piece that I try to do is sleep whenever I can. Um, I, I know there's a lot of founders out there that try to minimize the number of hours they sleep, but I know genetically I'm not one of them. So I try to get in my solid eight hours so that when the day starts, you have a fresh mind and can, can hit the ground. There. You will have to listen to episode three uh, we did with Jeff Kahn that came out last week. He is the founder of Rye Science, and the data around sleeping eight to eight and a half hours is if you want to talk about optimal performance, yeah. uh, sleep matters more than anything. Trying to cut sleep is not what you should do. So you're doing the right thing there based on uh, one of our other conversations. Uh, Monday, uh, we give a thanks to everyone on the team for something they might have done uh, the week before. Is there anyone you would like to give thanks to uh, as we wrap up this episode? I think it's like the what I think about there is it's not like just one person on the team, but really, I mean, the amazing team that we built up at at Pulley, Um, Kaylin, our designer, Phil, um, uh, Mark, Austin, and I mean, Will um, and Dom. It's like Pulley wouldn't exist without them. And we're we're asking people to believe in when they join Pulley is like, Look, we know it's really early, but like squint a little bit and see like the long term horizon and the vision of what we can make happen in the world. And I am so grateful that they're taking a shot on Pulley and taking a shot on me and joining the team. Awesome. Well, Ian, I can't thanks enough. Thank you enough for coming on the Founders Forward, sharing your story, sharing the story of Pulley. Uh, Founders, this product is for you. So go to Pulley.com, check it out. Uh, we uh, recently onboarded a Pulley, I think two months ago, it was seamless. They took care of everything. Uh, we just did a, a new round, a new option grant. The support is super fast. So can't say enough good things about the product. Check it out. Uh, Ian, thanks again for, for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks.